I tell you, well, good morning. So I'm Rick Hayes. I'm one of the ministers here on staff at First City. I love all that talking, all that noise of family going on. I haven't been here the last two weeks, and so I have missed it. And so, well, good morning to you. And it is good to see you. If you're brand new and someone you do not know gave you a big old hug, I'm sorry and congratulations. <laughs> it's welcome to the family reunion known as First City Church. And we just love each other and we, we love to hug and we love to shake hands and we love to say, how are you doing? And it's good to see you. And you are such a good family. And so if you're brand new, man, I, I, I'm so glad that you're here and joining us today. We're in the middle of this series that Taryn kicked off and it's such a great job kicking it off the last two weeks called Everybody Always. And it comes from this book that Bob Goff wrote. He's also the one who wrote Love Does. And so Everybody Always is this plea of Jesus to love everybody always. And it sounds so easy to say, everybody always, everybody always, but it's so hard to live, right? Because I can love everybody for a short period of time. I mean, I can love some people always, but loving everybody always is really, really difficult. And so when Taryn started it off, he talked about the principles of who's my neighbor and how am I going to love well and get outside my comfort zone and, and really make sure that with those people just all around me, that I'm loving them well and I'm learning how to love everybody always, regardless of what it takes, even if it means a sacrifice. And then last week, when it's like loving people on the rebound, people who find themselves in trouble or a sorrow or whatever it is, how can we help people in their time of need? I loved his illustration when he was talking about Zeke. And if you haven't listened to this, this is your first week here, you can go online, firstcitychurch.org, or you can get our app, First City Church, and you can listen to the messages there. But he has a little son named Zeke, and he said, hey, just trying, trying to train Zeke and all of their, how many kids do they have now? It's 92, 14, 18, 20, however many it is, all in the Lord's Ford. <laughs> and anyway, so uh, as he's training Zeke, He's like, man, some, he threw a bag of rice at somebody, and I'm like, hey, Zeke. He said, one of the principles that he gave us is that you speak into people's lives who they are, not just what they need to do. And as a parent, he said, this is how it shows itself. Like when my son did something that he wasn't supposed to do, instead of saying, you don't need to do that, you need to do this, you need to do that, I say, Zeke, you are a growing man of God. That's who you are. That's who God has created you to be. And men of God don't act that way. We, we don't do things like that. This is, is who we are and what we do. And I thought, man, that is so good, is that we're calling each other to live out these eternal principles of God. And we need to remember who we are and whose we are. And it makes a difference in how we treat people and how we interact with people. And then this is where Taryn left off last week. He gave this quote from Bob Goff out of his book that said, loving the neighbors we don't understand takes work and humility and patience and guts. Amen? It means leaving the security of our ease relationships, easy relationships, to engage in some tremendously awkward ones. And so that's where we left off. And so we're like, okay, so I, it's pretty easy for me to love to the, the people who love me back and make it easy for me to want to love them. It's often easy for me to love the people who are around me, but they find themselves in a hard time or, or difficult position or a heartbreak, right? And, and so I want to run after them and help them. But I find that there are more than just those two categories of people in my life. I find that I am in more than one category with other people in my life. 
And so the call of the book and really this series is to leave a little bit more. So here's your, just an illustration to, to talk about what I'm talking about. If that's me in the middle and I want to love everybody always and I'm going to carry that banner. I find that I have people in my life who are in different buckets. And Taryn talked about the first two. But as we go through the series, we're going down to additional uh, layers of people where it's more difficult to love them for different reasons. Do you have people in your life who are really easy to love? Just let me see a show of hands. Yep. Okay. Do you have people in your life who are easy to love, but they made a difficult decision before or something happened? They lost a job. Uh, they broke up with somebody. They're going through hard, and they called you and they said, I'm, I need you right now. I'm so hurt. And you're running after them. You have anybody in your life like that? Okay. So those are really the first two rungs. So the one we talked about is just love those people close to you. That, and, and, they're in, and I find there are people in my life, they're easy to love. My wife is easy to love because she never wants to hurt me. She never wants to wound me. My kids are easy to love. And so I have those people, my best friends, shepherds, those on my staff, easy, easy, easy people to love because all they want to do is the right thing. And if they ever make a mistake, it's like, okay, we'll just work through it. It's okay. And then there are those who they're on the bounce. And, for, and maybe sometimes these are people, and I've been in this bucket, where, you know, it's just like I've got this routine where everything is going well in my life, but it's just a matter of time, and I'm going to go through a crisis. Something's going to happen. I'm going to make a poor decision. I'm going to get fired from a job. Or I'm going to lose a, my best friend. Or I'm going to have a death in the family. Or I'm going to make a very poor financial decision, and I'm going to be in pain. And I'm going to cry out to somebody for help. And so the, these are going to start being a rhetorical. Maybe you have somebody in your life and, and you know, for whatever reason, when they get in trouble, I'm the person they call. Do you have somebody in your life like that? Yeah, so congratulations. Thank you for being a loyal friend. So we have some people when, and, and I do too. I do this with my shepherds. If I'm really in struggling with something, I'll call my shepherds. And so it seems like I'm always on the bounce with them. Always wanting to talk through something. Or I, Taryn is just a really good trusted friend to me. So I do this with him all the time. And I think he also does it with me. And there are people who call me when their life is hurting for whatever reason or if they want to think something through. And there are people that I call. My dad, man, when my life is hurting, I'll call my dad, you know, or, or somebody else. And so we, we find ourselves in these buckets. This third bucket is the one we want to talk about today, those that are at risk. <clears throat> and it's a hard bucket to talk about because if I were to be honest with myself, I'm in this bucket far too often. And especially all through my 20s and 30s, I was really, teenagers, and I was, when I was a teenager in my 20s, I was really in that bucket. And I developed such bad habits that I was a risk for other people. You know, I mean, you know, I, I told you, I was at a school and all the teachers got together and, and, and said, do we want Rick Hazlip at our school, yes or no? And only two teachers in that Christian school voted that they wanted me in the school. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about the Christian teachers. I'm saying I was not easy to teach. I was, just, I'm, I was just inclined to mischief. It was written on my report card all through my elementary years. And I was always, if that's the boundary, I just wanted to push it. And after a while, people just get tired of dealing with that. 
I guarantee you, you have people in your life, it doesn't matter where you draw the boundary, they're just going to push it. And after a while, you're just, it just wears you out. And I was in that bucket too. So when I'm talking today, you need to know I'm really just taking a reflection on my life and how difficult I made it for people to love me well. But there are people whose life, and maybe it's just for a few days, or maybe it's a season or a decade. For some people, their whole life is a string of bad mistakes. They don't mean for it to be that way. Or sometimes they do make the decisions. They just didn't think things through. How do we love well people in, in that group? And I'm just telling you, from too much of my life, I was in that group. And then, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about those that are difficult. It's just that, those that they just, we're all in water. We, don't, we know that we just don't need to be on the same. We just need some space. We don't need to live in the same state. You know, or whatever it is that we just, it's best for both of us if there's a lot of distance, right? And so how do we love people well in that situation? So let's talk a little bit about uh, this bucket, those that are at risk. You know, Jesus said, this is so important to us because in John 13, he said it this way. By this will all men know, this whole town, the whole world, by this will all men know that you belong to me, that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Wow, thank you for knowing your Bible. By this will all men know that you belong to me, if you love one another well. So this is very, very important. It's the foundation for what we do. It's the foundation for who we are. And, and so people will know, man, those people at first say they belong to Jesus because they've learned how to love people well. Well, so Jesus gives us this task when it comes to this third group. He says, do you only love the lovable? Do you only love the lovable? And there's an outline in the pew rack in front of it. If you want to get it out and you want to take some notes, then, then join me. But do you only love the lovable? And so he gives us in Luke chapter 6 this, this real tough challenge and, and I've, I've chosen the translation from the message just because I love the way it's worded. Look at this in Luke chapter 6. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. And he continues, I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. Wow, so easy to say. So I want to love you even if you don't love me back. I want to I be kind to you even if you don't know how to return that kindness. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us. Generously, graciously, even when we're our worst, our Father is kind. You be kind. I just love that. He's reminding us in this scripture that when it comes to God, we are all in the risky bucket. How many times has he had to forgive you? Just once or twice? Or was it more than 70 times 7? 
How long has God put up with our bad habits? Was it just for a season of our life? Or are we still struggling with some of the things we've struggled with all of our lives? And so what he's saying is, how does God treat you? Even if you were to be in the risky bucket, is he not generous and gracious and kind? And his challenge is, I need you to go love people the way I have loved you. Wow, that's hard to do. <laughs> it's because I don't like being used. I don't like being hurt. I don't like being wounded. I don't like receiving friendly fire. You know I, mean? I expect sometimes my enemy to treat me that way, but I don't expect you to treat me that way. And so we tend to push people away, back people off, and justify it. And so this is our challenge for today. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have to have boundaries. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25. I want to show you three quick stories in Matthew 25, all dealing with this topic. And it's like, how can I learn how to love people? And, and it makes a difference. At the end of the chapter, you're going to see that... Man, we're all in the risky bucket. All of us have made poor decisions. All of us have been foolish. All of us have wasted opportunity. And if everybody would have given up on us, we wouldn't be where we are today. I guarantee you, if I ask you, have you been through a hard... Okay, let me, let's just do it. Let's just, because this is safe. Anybody been through a hard time before? Raise your hand. Anybody had a friend who helped you work out of it? Raise your hand. Okay, that's what we're talking about. If you've gone through a hard time, maybe even by your own decisions, and when you were ready to get out of it, you had somebody to help you and love you unconditionally, then the challenge today is we've got to learn to do that with everybody in our life, even the risky ones, because it's the best hope, it's the best chance they have for going to heaven and living a good and faithful and, and the, their best life. So let's talk about it. There are a couple of challenges to it. Matthew 25 says that our first challenge is sometimes people act foolishly. Now we understand this because we act foolishly at times. And so he's going to give us a couple of examples. And then he's going to draw a conclusion. But sometimes it's tough to love people in this bucket because every time we turn around, they're making another foolish decision. And I just get tired of saying, would you just stop it already? You do this over and over and over and over, and I'm tired of it. So here's a story. Matthew chapter 25, let's look at verses 1 through 4. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for the lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. And so it's like, here's a, it's a great time, small town, and it's a big wedding. And everybody's invited to the wedding, you know, the whole town. And so they chose these 10 people these, to carry these lamps. And it says they were virgins, so these 10 young 
ladies and they have these lamps and they're supposed to line up the street and when the wedding party gets close it's just a beautiful scene and then they all go into the building and they close the doors and they light up the building there's a beautiful ceremony and then they all go celebrate and at that time wedding could last up to a week and so here they are and they're all there at the street they're all waiting for the bridegroom to come and he said now they they have their lamps and then he gives us this little insight Five of them were prepared no matter how long it took. If the bridegroom delays, if something happens and they don't show up on time, five of them are prepared no matter what. Five of them just rushed out of the house, grabbed their lamps. They don't have enough oil and this is not going to end well. So we have that little insight. Well, they delay and delay and delay and delay. The whole day goes by, no bridegroom. After a while, they get lazy. They go down, they lay and just go to sleep. At midnight, somebody yells, the bridegroom is coming. Here comes the wedding party. And everybody jumps up and they all trim their lamps and they start lighting. And at that time, it hits the five who were not prepared. We don't have enough oil. During this time when we've been asleep, some of our lamps have gone out and we're not going to have enough. So they go over to the wise and they say, hey, give us some of your oil. Give us some of your oil or we're not going to be able to make it all night. And what did the five who had extra, oil, extra olive oil say? If I give you my oil, it's not going to work out well for me. I can't do it. It's going to be disastrous for both of us. So this is what I need some of you to hear. In the middle of this, because I won't be talking about how are we going to love well people who are always acting foolishly. I'm not saying that you always have to do everything they ask. You do have to draw boundaries around this. Just like they did. We can't give you that oil. But run into town. Maybe you'll still find a merchant that's open and they can give you some oil. And they did. And they ran into town. Meanwhile... Back to the story, verse 10. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him into the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. And we see this whole story and what Jesus is trying to teach is that there's some people who miss out on really great blessings just because they're not thinking ahead. They're living for the moment. They're not thinking things through. We say it to our children all the time. Think before you act. Why did you do that? I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. And then what happens when you get into college? Because every, you know, every university knows a bunch of freshmen are going to come and a third of them are going to have to go home because they just showed up. And they didn't have the boundaries and the discipline in life to navigate all of that free time and way too many opportunities to do other things other than grades. And if you've been in that situation, I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm just saying there are people who are always prepared. They're easy to love. What about those who are constantly coming to you because they've been foolish and they want you to rescue them? Well, maybe the first time it happens, we rescue them. And then it happens again. And then, I don't know, but okay, I'm going to take the chance. And we rescue them again and again. What about the seventh or eighth time? What about when it's become such a bad habit? You're like, you know what? I'm, how do you respond? How do you act? What do you do? Because there are people who just, for whatever reason, 
they're in a time or a season of their life or maybe they just have not been taught how to think things through. And it just wears, it wears you out. How do, I, how do I love them always? When what I really want to do is just write them off. You know what? I can't do it. There's too much drama going on in your life and I've got too much in my life going on. I just don't have the, I don't have the, the energy. I don't have the emotional capacity to rescue you again. And then, now pause. This is where I know I'm talking to myself. I knew I was sabotaging my life. I knew it. And I did it anyway. Now, you know, in my story, you know, when I was young, I was always doing the wrong. I'm just, I was just all over the place. And a well-meaning psychologist told my mom, all Rick wants is family. He just wants family so badly that if you remove it from him, he'll change his behavior. And so here was his advice. Lock him in his room for six weeks and don't let him do anything with the family. Let him hear you having fun. And he'll want it so badly that when that time period is over, that restriction is over, he'll come back and he'll be changed and he won't do that bad behavior anymore. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> because I acted out more. The only time I could get attention was when I did something wrong or broke something or hurt somebody. And so I stayed in this perpetual state of separation. And all I wanted was to engage. I just wanted to be loved. And I just developed some really nasty habits until I became apathetic and I didn't care if they loved me or not. Now, even you know, to this day, it's one of my mom's greatest pains. I don't want her to carry that pain. She didn't mean to hurt me at all. She meant to rescue me. You know, and so I don't carry that, and I hope that she doesn't carry that. And mom, if you're listening to this story, I love you with all my heart. But do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, just sometimes we push people away, and we think that we're doing the right thing. But how can we really love people even when they're foolish? Now, we, can't, we, we still have to draw boundaries around it. Even the, 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 the wise virgins did not give away their all. You, you, you have to still draw boundaries. Okay, next story. Sometimes there are people who bury their opportunity. And it's like you've got all kinds of opportunity, and you can do whatever you want, and, but you're going to have to do it. I can't do this for you. And there are some people who take full advantage of opportunities, and there are others who just waste them. And then they want to be rescued. Here's the story. Now, before we get to verse 16, which is what I'm going to have up on the slide, it's like, here's this man. He owns a business, and he brings in three men in front of him. He says, okay, guys, I'm going to go on a journey. I'm going to be gone. I don't even know how long I'm going to be gone, but it's going to be a considerable amount of time. And so I need to just give you some stuff, and I need you to work while I'm gone. And so he brings one man. He gives him five bags of silver. I need you to put that to work. I need you to do something. The other guy, he gives him two bags of silver, and the other guy gives him one bag of silver. And he says, okay, you know, I'll, I'll see you when I get back. He leaves, and he's gone for a long period of time. Let's pick up the story, verse 16. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went and worked and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. So, you know, you got three guys, and they've all got opportunity. They've all got some resources, 
and now all they've got is time, creative energy. What are you going to do with the resources that you've been given? Well, some people are like, waste it. Woohoo! I'm going to go on a party. I'm going to... And, and some people do nothing. There was a guy who had five said, I'm going to work real hard. I'm going to meet some people. So he goes to meet some people, find some strategic relationships, and he doubles what he was given. The guy who had two went out and he invested and he worked and he made partnerships and he doubled what he was given. The guy who only got one said, wow, man, that's lucky me. And so he takes it and he's too afraid to do anything with it. And he says, you know what? I'm going to do something with that sometime. But he just buries it and uh, sits on the couch and plays video games. He's like, I, I'll, I'll look for a job tomorrow. You know, later, I'm going to go do that. I'm not doing anything with it now. And it doesn't matter how hard you beg them. Get up. Go look for a job. Go, go do something. Get busy. Don't waste the day. Oh, yeah, but you know what? I'm really kind of tired. And, and I, I will, I will, I will. Just one more, <laughs> just one more game. I'm just about to beat it. Okay. Okay. And the guy comes back. And he gets a report of what happened. And he rewards the one who had five and he rewards the one he had two. And then look at what he says, verse 28. Then he ordered to the guy who wasted his opportunity, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. And you got to listen to these next two sentences. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And so when I look at people, when you look at people's lives and you're like, man, this, there are those who work really, really hard and it seems like opportunities come their way all the time. There are others who don't work nearly as hard and they wonder, well, why don't I get those opportunities? Why doesn't it ever come to me? Well, and, and, and you can say you know, the energy you put forth is what you get back. Don't waste the opportunity. Don't, you need to, I can't do it for you. And so Jesus is like, sometimes you're going to be that person where something was in front of you and you wasted it and, and the opportunity went by. And you can say, oh, bring it back, bring it back. I want to do it now. Oh, if I'd have just known it was really going to, then I would have. Or if you're with somebody and you know somebody who's like that, what do you do? How do you treat them? Because we're going to think we're justified. I mean, there's, so, there's something inside me that just says, my goodness, you had the opportunity and you were just lazy and I'm sorry. Bye. And I feel justified. But the call from Jesus is how do you love people who've wasted opportunity? How do you love them always? That mean you don't draw boundaries around it. But how do you love it? And why should I care? Well, I'll tell you why you should care. Here's his conclusion on the back of your outline. And this is my whole sermon in one sentence. How you treat the marginalized determines what happens next to you. Jesus is like, I just gave you two stories of people and, and you're going to spend so much time going, they deserve it. And then he's going to say, may I remind you that that is not your heavenly father's attitude toward you. 
They deserve it. Because while you were sinners, Christ died for you. Amen? And so he says, you need to know what I'm trying to teach you. Verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, there's, God's going to come back. And his angels are going to be with him. He's going to sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered in his presence. He's going to separate the people as shepherds. Separate sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. He's going to be in front of the whole world. And he's going to separate people into two piles. And he's going to make a decision on where they're going to spend eternity. And then the king will say to those on his right... Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you in the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I was risky. I wasn't easy to love. I shoved you away. I made foolish decisions. I wasted opportunities. But you still loved me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And because you loved people well, even if you concluded they don't deserve it, but because you, you love them anyway, I'm going to be very generous to you. And then he'll say to those on his left, I was hungry and you did nothing. I was thirsty and you said I deserved it. I had no clothes, no job. I was naked. I was in prison. I was sick. You wouldn't even call me. Lord, when did we ever see you in need and not reach out to you? When you walk in your life and you see people all around you in need and you think they deserve it and you back away and do nothing, then you did the same to me. Go into eternal punishment. So this is very important. I mean, it's, what if, you know, because we have people in our household, we have sons and daughters and they make foolish decisions and we're like, when will they ever stop? We have neighbors, we have friends, we have people and, and they shove us away. What do we do? How do we love well? And what he's trying to say is, if you shove everybody away who you think deserve it, they have no chance to get back to God. They need somebody, because I asked you earlier, how many of you ever made a foolish decision? We all raised our hand. How many of you had a good friend who helped you through it? We all raised our hand. I'm going to show you a little video. And this is Bob Goff. And so he's going to talk. He's sitting at a piano and... and and he's talking about this guy named Lex. Lex was blind and wanted to do something with his life. But he needed help because he can't see. But he had this gift. And he couldn't get there on his own. So, three-minute video. Listen to what Bob says about Lex. 
One of the men that came out on this stage with me is a good friend of mine. His name is Lex. And Lex lost his sight in both eyes when he was eight years old. But by the time he got to college, you know what he figured out? He could run like the wind. So you know what Lex did? He went out for the track team. Now that seems like a bad idea to me, but do you know what Lex has? He's got a friend. And his friend runs in front of him and calls his name. You know what, on our last day here on earth, you and I, we're gonna have room for about eight people around our bed, nine if they're thin. And I figured out who my eight people are. And I've sent them all text messages. I said, you're one of the eight. They're like, what's that mean? I'm like, don't worry about it. But if you don't have eight friends, go find six. Do you know four fruit trees is just a bunch of fruit trees, but five fruit trees is an orchard? <laughs> who comes up with this stuff? Probably a lawyer like me who needs a tax break. Go find an orchard full of friends. And if you can't find five friends, you go find one friend that you can really level with to say, I need a second touch from God. And I'll tell you, beautiful things will start unfolding. You'll move off the recital stage and into community. You'll get real with each other. You'll understand that failure is what God uses to remind us of our tremendous need for Him. Well, Lex, turns out, could run pretty fast, but he could also jump pretty long. And he had to pick an event. And do you know the event he picked in the track and field? The long jump. Now that seems like a really, really bad idea. You run down a two and a half foot wide path for 110 feet, six inches. You jump off a board you can't see and throw your body towards a sand pit as far as you can. It seems impossible. Do you know what Lex has? He's got a friend. And his friend stands at the edge of the sand pit and calls his name, Lex, 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 Lex. And Lex just runs towards a voice he can trust. Well, Lex was evidently pretty good at the long jump. Do you know why? He went out for the United States Olympic team and he made it. Is that crazy? He literally went to Rio representing us. In the run-up to the Olympics, there's an event called the World Games. And Lex was there with his friend. His friend stood at the edge of the sand pit and started calling Lex's name. And Lex ran as fast as he could. He jumped huge, but because Lex is blind, he doesn't always run in a straight line. And he was crooked when he took off and he missed the sand pit completely. And he crashed and burned on the concrete. Man, that's happened to you, that's happened to me. We jumped big for something that we wanted bad and, and we crashed and burned. I would be tempted if I was Lex to bail on the whole thing. So in the story, I mean, just imagine not being able to see, but yet running as fast as you can down a two and a half wide, you know, stretch of runway that leads to a sand pit you can't see and jumping as high and as far as you can and sticking your legs out in front just hoping that there is a sand pit and you're going to hit it. I mean, that to me is amazing enough. You know, but he, but he did. And he's got this situation that he didn't ask for and he needs some help. And in the middle of it, he crashes and burns. Now, when, when people around us crash and burn, when you crash and burn, it just takes everything out of you. And it takes a lot to get back up again. Oftentimes, people quit, you know, because they're like, man, I can't afford to get hurt like that again. I don't, I don't want to mess up. I'm in front of all these people. Everybody's watching, and I'm, and I'm 
ruining my life. And he scraped his skin up. He scraped his uniform off of his body. And, uh, and, he, and he's, you know, he said, if it was me, I'd have been tempted to give up. But I want you to see the conclusion. I would be tempted if I was Lex to bail on the whole thing. I'd just say, I'm out. I jumped huge. I hit hard. I'm out. But you know what Lex has? He's got a friend. And his friend got him a new uni because he was mooning everybody. And he walked him back 110 feet, six inches, squared up his shoulders to the sand pit, went over there and started calling his name again. Lex. Lex, 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 straight, straight, straight. Lex uncorks the biggest jump of his life. Set the record, gold medal. You guys, I want us to jump further because we've fallen before. Not to hold back, not to be afraid, not to play it safe, but to just jump big. And if we do that, if we're willing to jump big into to the future that God has for us, notwithstanding the times that we've fallen in the past, if we're willing to catch people on the bounce, to find people that are creeping us out and engage them with love, do you know what? People will see Jesus. They'll look right through us. People will see Jesus. They'll just look right through us. And that's the deal. We want everybody to get a glimpse of Jesus. The reason that we rescue people when they crash and burn or when they've made foolish decisions or when they've wasted their opportunity is because nobody gets up in the morning and says, today I'm just gonna be a loser in life. I'm gonna be a drain on my family. Nobody, who gets up and does that? But sometimes we find ourselves at the wrong end of a poor decision and all we need is somebody who's gonna love us through it. Just the way Jesus loved us. Man, if you have never given your life to God, today is the day to make that decision. When your life is full of messes, a string of poor decisions, when your life is falling apart, you have someone in front of you calling your name, begging you to run to him. And he will help you find the life you've been looking for. If you don't have a relationship with God, man, today's the day to start. God loves everyone always. And he's calling your name. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. I don't want you leaving today without a relationship with Jesus. We're gonna go into this time of communion. There are three things on your outline. Can I give these to you real quickly? The first the biggest decision you can make is to give your life to Jesus. That's the one thing I really want to call you to. And then secondly, I want to call you to live, run after other people the way God has run after you. And here are three ideas. Take a, you know, a step to demonstrate love to those you often marginalize. I don't know who it is. Maybe it's a son or a daughter in your life who've made so many poor decisions you're having a hard time helping them to get to the next step. Maybe it's an uncle or an aunt or a neighbor or a coworker or an ex-friend who 
do you find it easy to stay away from because you're afraid that you might get hurt again? And what's something that you can do, not without boundaries, but just to let them know you love them unconditionally. Now, we have a ministry here that we've just started called Lift. And it's where we're running after hurting families, children who are now in foster care. We're rescuing those children and opening up our homes to them. And we're starting to reach out to the families who made poor decisions of why their children had to be removed in the first place. If you want to get involved, if this is a step that you want to take, Randy Lawrence is downstairs sitting at a table, a lift table, and she's ready to sign you up. And so let that be something that you do. Number two, volunteer in an organization that exists to bless those who struggle in life. There's a Pensacola Dream Center, and they help you know, girls in, in, in the sex slave industry where they've been rescued. They're running after homeless. They're running at, there's a man of food pantry in town. But go volunteer in a nonprofit organization and just do something to give yourself a way to bless people. Number three, make a financial donation to a nonprofit organization doing what you believe in. By the way, we're a nonprofit organization. And we will be receiving our offerings. And thank you for what you do to bless this ministry. And there are orange buckets in the back and there are others around. the. And, and you can donate because everything we do, everything we collect goes to the, to the mission of what we're trying to accomplish. But